1: Hello, and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, newspapers fight back against advertising blacklists, there's a revival for BBC local radio, and could your broadband bill help fund the licence fee? Plus, how sports media might retool for a world with no fixtures, and a real time example of the pitfalls of remote recording. It's all to come in today's Media Podcast. Right, well, as before, I really hope you and all of your loved ones are well and finding a way to scratch a living in Media Land at the moment. Uh, We are recording remotely again, of course, as will probably be the case for quite a while to come. Uh, So you can look forward to more eccentric background noises and awkward pauses. But what a panel we have for you today to analyse what has been an extraordinary fortnight. First up, journalist and Channel 4 historian, yes, Maggie Brown's back on the show. Hello, Maggie.
2: Hello, Ollie. Hi,
1: Hertfordshire calling. Uh, Where are you?
2: I'm sitting in Powys, Wales, in the Vermeer Valley, um, in a Victorian house. And um, I'm surrounded by lots of little lambs and dancing daffodils.
1: Oh, sounds idyllic. Uh, How has the (laughs) lockdown been affecting your work?
2: Well, actually, I've had a very nice uh, couple of days because it's confirmed that my Channel Four History uh, has a publication date of the 12th of November, if I can give myself just a a modest little plug. Oh, please. Uh, It has been delayed, but um, I've seen and approved the the cover of the book, and I've had some really um, quite nice endorsements. So... I'm feeling much better than maybe a month ago, although I shouldn't be feeling better. I should be feeling very upset with the <laughs> terrible uh, crisis that we're in the middle of. But that, You're allowed to be a,
1: anyway. a nuanced and complex person in, enjoying good news at the same time as difficult news. Uh, also with me, fellow veteran media podcast commentator, Paul Robinson, director of Creative Media Partners. Hi, Paul. Hi, Ollie. Uh, now, I usually ask you where you've just flown back from. <laughs> uh, but rarely this time we all know the answer so uh, I suppose I should ask you what events have you had to miss
0: well I've had to miss so many things my poor passport's in the bottom drawer gathering dust and I think it's going to gather quite a lot of dust before it comes out again so I'm definitely having withdrawal symptoms of not being at terminal fire at the Heathrow
1: Mm, but you have been on the radio that's exciting
0: yeah well I've set up a little studio here at home so I'm in Canary Wharf in London looking out on you know what should be London's financial district and there is nothing going on there's a lone cyclist going down the street at the moment but otherwise absolutely nothing it's bizarre I've never known it quiet like this it's really really weird but yes I've been doing lots of radio so I've got a little radio studio set up here Um, I've got all my bits and pieces I've got this fantastic professional vocal booth that's arrived which is wonderful to give good sound so i'm doing shows for various stations one called radio Tyneside in the northeast east london radio podcast radio and various others so um, going back to my dj roots and absolutely loving it
1: there you are another positive to come out of this situation uh, actually you're kind of nerdy about some of the tech stuff so if you've been building a home studio can you give us a tip i mean what's is there a is there a microphone is there a phone panel is is there a, a audio streaming service that you'd particularly recommend
0: well, I mean, I had to buy Bayer headphones because that's what everybody uses in radio. So they're the big headphones that go right over your ears so you can really mm-hmm. hear the mix. So when you're mixing music and voice, you can hear that mix properly in your head without being exposed to noises outside. But the, the really great thing is this um, portable vocal booth, which um, basically reduces all the reflections in the room, gets rid of any flutter, you know, attenuates any room noise, and folds for easy storage. And I bought this fantastic uh, USB mic that plugs straight into the laptop and it's beautiful quality about 120 quid and uh, it sounds just as good as the radio studio you would not believe I was sitting in my little room here uh, looking out the window so those two bits of device those two bits of kit are um, really money well spent and I'm loving using them
1: and that foldable foam thing you were talking about that goes behind the mic doesn't it so you're looking at it it doesn't go behind you like uh, people think it goes behind you Yes, yeah, so yeah. it's, like
0: it's like a U shape. So you, you look in the open end of the U, and then the other bit goes behind the mic, and that stops any reflection. So you don't get that sort of bathroomy noise. So you get a really nice, mm. sort of rich, rich sound. Um, but I'm behind you, now. do you
1: still have a blanket on a stepladder? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I've got the stepladder, but no blanket.
1: Okay.
2: Um, You're making bef- me feel very inferior here, Paul.
1: Uh, Now, before we get on to the news, actually, I'd just quickly like both of you to give me a sense, if you don't mind, of how your media consumption over the past month or so might have changed. Because I've found myself listening to a lot more music radio, for example, rather than speech radio. I've stopped watching TV news basically altogether because it's depressing me. And I've started rediscovering retro gaming a bit, and I'm not someone who plays video games normally. And I wouldn't have predicted any of that, so I, I wonder whether you've got similar experiences. Maggie, have you discovered a new favourite... Uh, program or stopped engaging with some of your usual media diet?
2: Well, I have to admit that I was pretty much gorging on the news for various reasons, including having uh, several children who live abroad. So I have been rather overdosing on news. And you're quite right. In the past couple of days, uh, I have been definitely uh, dialing that down. Because of my professional interest in Channel 4, I have discovered um, a new kind of interest in daytime television which i wouldn't normally be watching because of the steph show which is the 12 o'clock news show on channel 4 now i very much approve of channel 4 going back into live uh, topical broadcasting so i have been making a date with that each day yeah, and this has been broadcast from steph do.
1: mcgovern's house isn't it
2: it is, yes, um, in, in in Yorkshire. And uh, I mean, it's, it's had very mixed reviews, but um, I'm basically on the side of, of seeing some potential in it and actually quite enjoying parts of it. It's very down-to-earth and it obviously has some rough edges. But um, it it has some fun side, too. So I've been watching that. And I've been counting up the adverts and who's advertising, to be honest, because I'm Mm. terribly interested in this whole issue of the sustainability, if you like, of the media we've got at the moment. I've been watching things like ITV3 and uh, BBC4, uh, Montalbano, the Italian show, because of my mother-in-law, because she loves it. And we quite love it, too. And I've been watching Poirot's and and old dramas, uh, which haven't been that bad, either. Which I suppose is my form of escapism. But the odd thing that I am doing is I am looking at the newspapers and analysing those because uh, we have them here. And I also have been reading um, the 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 final third uh, Hilary Mantle book, um, the the Mirror and the Light. So I've been actually reading more books as well. That's that's how my media consumption has changed. It's probably sort of more news and more escapism at the same time. Absolutely. Yes.
1: Uh, and Paul
0: well I've been watching less news as time goes by a bit like Maggie Rill I was absolutely watching everything and now I'm watching or listening to the five o'clock conference I do quite enjoy that five o'clock daily conference every day the sort of theatre of it all so I'm watching that I'm really being very selective about news I'm definitely listening to a lot more music radio uh, and music radio often where there's not a lot of content around it but just music just so you sort of can escape mm. from um, the daily routine I've also gone back to um, my bookshelf i mean i i never really read i read for business i don't read for pleasure so i've got books on there i've been given as christmas and birthday presents never ever read them so i'm starting to go um, back to those and then the other thing of course is i've been gorging on disney plus as a former disney executive (laughs) i wanted to look at what disney plus is doing and uh, you know been watching the mandalorian which i think is brilliant by the way um, and really enjoying disney plus
1: Future conspiracy theorists, I think, won't believe that it was a coincidence that the Disney Plus UK launch happened the week that everyone got locked in their houses with their families. But there it was. Uh, Very good timing for those who subscribed. Um, In fact, we'll be talking about that later, and you've teed us up very nicely. We're going to be talking about all of those things, advertising, Channel Four schedule and everything else. But uh, doing the proper news stories now, let's kick off with newspaper advertising, actually. Because papers are facing a £50 million funding gap because advertisers are blocking ads on coronavirus content. Um, Now, Maggie, that seems almost counterintuitive, doesn't it? Readership is surging by 3 million uh, people online since the outbreak. If you're still advertising, okay, it might not be in print anymore, it's on the internet, but you still want those eyeballs, don't you?
2: Of course you do. And, I mean, you need it for survival. And there have been a lot of protests about it, that the algorithms should be changed. And um, I would be in agreement with that. Um, the, the other thing that's obviously happening too is that uh, there is a campaign by the by the regional press, in particular, um, and the Society of Editors, uh, to say that maybe the government should be su- supporting um, them by filling a different sort of gap, a pure advertising gap now, uh, by uh, putting out or buying. I think they mean um, advertising space for social messages and for you know the usual mm. health warnings and things that we're seeing the whole time campaigns public health campaigns in other words to support a public service duty which newspapers to be fair are trying to do Um, it is a really critical time for advertising supported media in a way it goes beyond whether this algorithm or that algorithm or this uh, digital online service is being blocked it's it's all about really Uh, having uh, a crisis of advertising and uh, I mean we rightly said that Disney have chosen like the sweetest moment really possible to launch a a service a a paid for streaming service at home but the simple fact is that any organisation which really depends on advertising in whatever form um, is is really um, I think uh, uh, they feel I think some of them as if they're on the edge of a precipice Um, I'm extremely concerned actually about Channel 4 because it's virtually 95% dependent on advertising. And I wasn't joking actually earlier when I said that I was actually writing down the the kind of advertising that was going on in some of its shows to see if new advertisers are coming in. And to some extent, I felt quite heartened because uh, there there definitely is uh, a a boom, for example, in, in people trying to sell both um, medicines, um, health foods, computers, new vacuum cleaners to keep your house clean, uh, even uh, some, some booze adverts. There's, there's been a lot of, um, I mean, I've, I've noticed boots, for example, that I don't remember being on television very much um advertising quite a bit too but no this is a really difficult period and you know you you only have to see city city am has stopped uh publishing the Mm. evening standard has cut back its print and is is furloughing journalists or cutting salaries people are uh newspapers are trying to re-establish believe it or not you know home delivery this is uh I, i if you said that we would be in this situation even a month ago I would have been completely surprised.
1: I mean, the Evening Standard, that kind of made sense, didn't it? Because obviously all of their commuter population that picks up the free copy can't, unless they're Absolutely. a key worker. And all of their distributors uh, you know are sitting around with no one to hand out to. It makes sense for them to get in the car and put them through people's front doors. But you're right, it wasn't something people predicted just a month ago I mean Paul the campaigning body for the newspaper industry Newsworks um, has called out advertisers for using blacklists those are the Mm -hmm. algorithms that Maggie's referring to can you just explain to us Paul what those are uh, for those of us who don't know because basically it's you know companies have said they don't want essentially they don't want their ads put next to stories about death I mean that's basically what it is isn't it
0: Yeah, I mean, exactly. So, I mean, this is actually a piece of technology that automatically will ensure that an advert is not placed next to key words or key stories. And it's always been the case that, um, you know, stories about terrorism and such things have been difficult to place advertising around. I mean, the issue, I guess, is whether a consumer seeing an advert next to a story about coronavirus is going to be turned off that product or not. And I think it's very hard to know whether that's a yes or a no. I mean, most stories, of course, are going to be, stories about how to stay safe or their stories about you know trends or things that are happening with testing whatever it is so i think it's unlikely personally as an opinion that's going to have a negative impact on the product but of course advertisers have always had the chance to say i'm going to place my money here this particular medium and that could be print it could be online it could be television it could be radio and of course they have the choice about choosing where that advertising is placed so this is just a technological way of of basically. Stopping these ads appearing next to any stories about coronavirus. I think Maggie is right about the bigger picture. I think it's very worrying for any media business that's actually funded via advertising, and we don't really know where the bottom is going to be on this advertising shortfall and what that impact's going to be. I think, as Maggie says, you know, there'll be certain brands, certain sorts of products which are going to be fine and will probably maybe even enhance the advertising particularly for an online shopper or takeaway food or medicines, absolutely. But if you're in the holiday business, the airline business you know, clearly you're not going to Mm -hmm. advertise anything at all. I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, the short-term versus the long term I mean immediately people can't transact they can't go and have a meal out in a restaurant so there's no point in actually advertising but I think we have to assume that at some point we are going to get back to normal or near normal and therefore you need to make sure your brands in front of people so I think we might see as well as transactional advertising there'll be um, brand advertising because you need to make sure that your brand is in people's minds and top of their minds so when they do go back to make a decision they're thinking about your particular brand your particular product or service. Yeah, Yeah. okay,
1: well on that then, Paul, isn't isn't that absolutely hitting the issue on the head with regard to these blacklists? Because if you're saying essentially that, you know, brands might wanna collaborate with editorial to make sure that they're in people's minds, when they have those conversations with media organizations, and I in my own small way as an independent podcaster have those conversations with brands about how I can match their brand to something aspirational and the association will be a good payoff for them, If you believe that, if you believe what you're selling, that it makes sense to put your brand next to something positive and heroic and uplifting, then it does make sense, doesn't it, that putting your ad next to a story which is about mass casualties isn't good.
2: Actually, what's happening with the supermarkets, if you look at their advertising, for example Tesco's, they're not exactly putting it against... Deaths, what they're saying is they're showing how they're being responsible, how they're asking people to queue, what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. And this is actually all very much brand building or they're talking about how much food they're giving to maybe food banks or to help yeah. people that it's, or, or schools. That it's a different kind of approach. It's actually the, the supermarkets are in a way uh, coming out as almost I was going to say heroes, that's not quite the right word, but they are trying to show a level of uh, responsibility.
1: They're so, saying we're a public service, aren't they? And that kind of absolutely. advertising, actually, you're, you're right, would play well against a coronavirus distribution item. they
2: networks, you know, and they are the sort of bodies that in some ways have had... You know, they don't always have this kind of very good press. But if I had to stand back now, I would say that their advertising is very much about building brands. And for somebody like, for a chain like Aldi in particular, they're almost um, looking like the co-op, which I can't really believe. You know, they're very based in Britain and, and worried about but. but ordinary
0: people which is fantastic okay be be aware though be aware Mm. aware of course i mean i I totally agree with all of that maggie but be aware of course that the big winners in this whole thing are supermarkets you you look at the the retail value of food Mm. the retail value of uh, booze that's massively massively up um you could argue that they're actually in a very strong position to do this now because actually they are making fantastic revenues out of this
1: so paul in conclusion on this Do you think that the advertisers are going to heed the warnings and stop blocking the words coronavirus to help support the newspapers? Um, Perhaps they don't even realise that the algorithms they've turned on are doing this. uh, Or do you think they'll play it safe and stay away from those stories?
0: Well, I'd like to see a dialogue taking place between the newspaper proprietors, the advertising agencies and the actual brands who are advertising. I think that'd be a healthy thing to do. But do I think they're going to stop? If I'm honest, probably not, because advertisers have got choices about where they place their advertising. And in a market where there's less advertising to go around, they're going to be even more uh, selective about where they put that money. And if they have any doubt that being uh, advertising near um, a news story, even if there's It's merely their interpretation or it's merely their their feeling about it, you know, whether it's based on any rationale or not. And they can go somewhere else where they're going to be, you know, in a music environment or they're going to be in an entertainment environment. They're probably going to choose that. So I don't think they're going to actually stop. No.
1: And Maggie, you mentioned City AM and the Evening Standard yeah. just then. I was wondering what your uh, thoughts were about the approaches taken by the Racing Post uh, and by the big issue. Uh, in the case of the Racing Post, they've ceased printed publication yeah. for now. That's not surprising. I guess there is literally no sport for people to gamble on. Um, it doesn't sustain a daily newspaper. Uh, the big issue, their issue, of course, was they were putting vulnerable street vendors... Uh, in harm's way by keeping them out on the street. Um, So they're now being sold in Sainsbury's. Do you think both those approaches are sustainable?
2: Well, with the racing post, I mean, when you think back, uh, I mean, Cheltenham Gold Cup was really, you know, the last big hurrah for the the racing post. And I imagine that racing is not going to go out of fashion and neither is, is gambling on horse racing. So there is definitely a niche... It it does have pretty much a monopoly hold on that uh, section of the of of the market, and uh, horse racing is as old as the years, as as the ages rather. So it's bound to come back, and I imagine the publication will too. I thought the editor Tom Kerr uh, was really quite dignified in uh, his editorial, in which he said there is you know this this huge crisis going on, and we're just one small part of it so i they put some people i think on furlough and i think maybe some others have had um uh, suspensions and uh but but are being paid i think that the that, that, that it will come back yes i do but i don't like everybody else i don't know how and when this crisis will calm down and uh, allow us to have um sporting events again i mean the, the backdrop to this is, I mean, just look at everything being cancelled from the Olympics downwards, the Paralympics, mm. Wimbledon. When that happened, you, you just knew that, that that nothing kind of would be the same this year. For people who love football, the, the Rugby Six Nations wasn't able to complete its competition. Uh, we don't, we just don't know what um, and when. Uh, things will get back to normal. The Olympics, we assume, you know, this time next year. It's a massive problem for sports writers, for people who report live from matches, for stringers, for freelancers, for the whole sports industry. And I I, I imagine that when they come back, um, they're going to be greeted like long-lost friends because everybody's mad about one sport or another.
1: And what about the big issue?
2: It's, well, what can can you do? I've always felt... To be absolutely honest, I've always felt very sorry for the people standing outside of um, supermarket doors in the cold or sitting on the pavements or uh, trying to attract people's uh, support outside of busy stations. It's always seemed to me um, a necessary but rather sad um, occupation, but a a means of honestly uh, getting by. if they're inside a supermarket, well, they're they're warmer, but they're obviously going to find that their income has been hit too.
0: So on the big issue, I think what's interesting is that the amount of money they need per month is pretty small. Uh, John Byrd is saying he needs about £60,000 in the next couple of months, so it's not a huge amount of money. Um, 164 Sainsbury stores initially, extending to 315 over the coming weeks, and 1,430 McColl stores. So that's 2,000 shops, Only 2,000 shops will have big issues in them i think that's pretty good distribution um i don't know how many issues that extends to to get to the 60000 it doesn't sound like more than about 20000 issues to me so i'd have thought if people's shopping and uh, they see someone selling the big issue i think people might be in a good mood and might actually buy the big issue so i think they're very smart i feel quite optimistic for the big issue actually
1: Yeah, I guess it's the distributors, isn't it, you think about, rather than the the title, which is, I think, I understand it's actually a collaboration with Dennis Publishing these days, so I'm sure they won't let the title die, but it's the same with the Racing Post, isn't it, it's all the staff.
0: Yeah, and with the racing post, I mean, the issue there is what they have done, of course, is they've basically cut all their costs. So by stopping, they've got no real costs. So the goal has to be, can we restart? And they've done the best thing they can to actually restart when the racing card starts. So hopefully, as Maggie says, they will, you know, come back strong. And this is just going to be a three, four and five month pause.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, let's move our attention to new programming now, because after these weeks of unprecedented change to the country's cultural landscape, uh, the broadcasters have responded with a raft of new shows, TV and radio. Uh, Maggie, I'll ask you about Channel Four in just a second because I know you have much to say. Uh, but first, Paul on, on well, let's on radio, but I guess specifically, let's talk about BBC local radio for a change because that really seems to be the biggest step up. Um, their campaign making a difference has been a huge success well
0: yes this is in partnership with wavelength who are a charity formed in 1939 whose job is to help people who are lonely and for many years they've given away radios tv sets and tablets and things to enable people who are generally over 70 or disadvantaged disconnected to be connected via bits of technology they're a fantastic organization tim leach who runs it uh, i did work with him myself he's a really really good guy so bbc local radio getting involved with this has been very smart obviously 100,000 people have actually said yes we'd like to take part in this scheme for a, a free DAB radio which is obviously a tremendous uh, tremendous number my issue with BBC local radio I think is what they've done is they've junked all their schedules and they've now gone to these four-hour programs at six till ten ten till two two till six every day and I've had mm. a huge number of emails from people complaining that their regular presenters aren't in place the regular shows aren't in place and really dissatisfied with the service from BBC local radio so whilst This number is fantastic. I think they've overreacted, and what they've done is they've destroyed the relationship that certain presenters had with their audience. Um, It's very
1: interesting because they've preserved the relationship that the uh, listeners have with the brand of their local station, as as you say, hundreds of thousands of people contacting the stations uh, to talk about local Facebook groups that are supporting elderly communities and all this sort of thing and updating as much news as they can. They've got a real focus. They're increasing their audiences. So people will have that bond with the local station. But part of that, as you say, part and parcel of it is a bond with a presenter at a certain time of day.
0: It is. And do look at the Radio Times this week, where, in fact, they've um, claimed to do listings for BBC Local Radio. And every single BBC Local Radio station in England has got the same listing across two pages of the Radio Times. So they they have sort of taken away some of the, the sort of localness and local connection. I have to say also, I've listened quite a a lot to bbc local radio and uh, some of it's been excellent and some of it's been terrible in
1: terms of the herculean effort of uh, taking local and national radio stations and essentially making them from home largely uh, i don't think listeners will have heard much of a difference
0: no well I think first of all I think listeners will probably tolerate a little bit of difference because they'll appreciate the efforts been made to broadcast from home but it mm. is a pretty big undertaking and I've listened to most of the BBC and commercial national stations and I say they say they sound pretty good I mean you know pretty pretty smooth you wouldn't really know a lot of difference I mean there have been one or two exceptions where they've lost contributors and things but generally the national stations have sounded very good I think the commercial local stations have also sounded okay the BBC local stations very very patchy i mean some terrible gaffes i've heard you know stations where they've not had records playing and they've had people sort of running around the studio shouting and two things going out at the same time you know bbc Mm. local radio technically has been a bit hit and miss this last couple of weeks
1: And it is 45 minutes after you last heard us talk through the magic of editing. It's just been mere seconds for you. Uh, But whilst Paul and I were chatting about radio just then, uh, Maggie Brown dropped off (laughs) the face of our clean feed conversation. (laughs) Her broadband got throttled and we spent 45 minutes trying to get back on the show, but we can't um so paul you're going to have to race through the rest of the order with me is that okay
0: that's absolutely fine i was going to say maybe this uh, deal the government has done with the broadband companies needs a bit more work since maggie's disappeared into the ether
1: <laughs> well indeed paul you have effortlessly segued us uh to uh, one of the stories we're going to talk about next with you and maggie but it'll have to be just you now uh, <laughs> which was uh, the deal that's been struck between broadband providers and the government to remove data caps supposedly to keep people t- uh, connected paul um Uh, Will this make a practical difference to home workers? I mean, of course, it's good that, uh, you know, seniors and people who only can afford cheap broadband packages um, will have the same kind of provision as those those of us who are paying for a premium package. But I suppose rather selfishly, I'm thinking, well, I'm doing all my work from home. I need the internet. I am paying for a premium package. Is it going to affect my speed?
0: Well, I mean, I think there's uh, two points on there. One is about home working. And, of course, people have said, oh, home working is going to put the internet under strain. We should remember, of course, people are not working in their offices anymore. So really, in theory, all they're doing is using a different ISP and doing probably similar amounts of work. So maybe the home working is a bit of a red herring. I think the point about connecting people is really important. I think for a lot of people, this is a very... uh, This is a very trying time, a worrying time, particularly for people who are older or a bit isolated. And so, you know, Internet really is absolutely their lifeline into the world. I mean, radio and TV are, of course. But, I mean, you can't imagine what this would be like uh, if we didn't have decent broadband. So I think Mm -hmm. if people are worried about their bills or they need better bandwidth so they can get connected, so, you know, they can do Skype calls, they can talk to loved ones, I think it's really important. It's interesting, if you look at tablet ownership in the UK, the biggest single spike in ownership is with 65 pluses. So there's a lot of tablets with older people there in the country. And if they can use them to stay in touch, I think that could literally be a lifeline for many people who otherwise might feel very isolated. So I, I welcome this. I also welcome the idea that, you know, if money is tight and everyone's going to be thinking carefully now, lots of people are going to have reduced income. You know, if they get more time to pay your bill and you're not going to get cut off because you haven't paid your bill, that seems to me to be very smart and entirely right at the moment.
1: If only we'd taught all of these self-isolating seniors to use their new technologies before they couldn't leave the house, though. I mean, right. I, I spent uh, about half an hour the other night at 11 p.m. T- trying to teach my 93-year-old grandmother to use the Sainsbury's website. I and mean, you can imagine she had a, a tablet on her lap that she was using to try and order her home shopping. Then she had a phone that I got her to put FaceTime on and I had to teach her how to flip the camera so she could show me what was on her screen. Then she was holding the landline so she could talk to me about what to do. I mean, we battled through it in the end, but a lot of families are facing that kind of struggle at the moment.
0: Yeah, they are. But, you know, what's quite good about that is it does mean there's a reason to talk and there's a connection. And, you know, if the if the person's prepared to listen and learn, you know, it's another bit of engagement, isn't it? You know, I think if people are helping each other, supporting each other, yes, it can be frustrating. And, yes, you might think, oh, why does this person not get it? It's so straightforward. Actually, I think, you know, it's down to us to be patient and help them. So I, I think, look, the Internet, mobile telephones, you know, without those, this would be an absolute nightmare. It's pretty tough anyway, but with mm. this technology... At least there's some lifeline, there's some connection. So I think, you know, internet is absolutely essential.
1: And I'm about to ask you a question that's the kind of thing that basically only we care about on this show. <laughs> no one else is covering this story. But it is relevant to our audience, uh, which is the BBC hinting that the TV licence fee could be added to broadband bills uh, in the government consultation this week. What do you, what do you make of that idea?
0: Yeah, I was really interested in this and I was pleased to see the BBC were open to it. I mean, clearly the BBC's objective is to keep the licence fee because without the licence fee, it's a very, very different BBC. I think there have been all sorts of models done looking at different ways of funding the bbc the reality is that the five billion pounds a year that the bbc has currently would be decimated by any other funding mechanic. so if you can find a new way to collect it via broadband uh that might be a very neat solution that would actually work for everybody including the bbc and maintain a strong bbc
1: okay Uh, and the final thing we were going to talk about uh with maggie was fake news Um, Because Google has announced they're making a $6.5 million fund available to fact-checking organisations worldwide to help fight misinformation. Um, They're giving it to organisations like Full Fact so that they can bolster the efforts that are already being made. It's difficult not to welcome that. Do you think it's spin from Google in the sense that, you know, why aren't they just putting a big label on fake news and not letting it rise up through the ranks? Or do you welcome this wholeheartedly?
0: Well, overall, I welcome it. And I think that Google are doing the right thing. And I welcome it. And I welcome the money. And I have to say, yeah, jolly good on you, Google. But am I completely... Um, uncynical about it? No. I mean, look, if you take the comparison of YouTube and the whole issue there was over advertising that was inappropriate, that was being served up in kids' TV, they didn't mm. do anything about it until after it was a problem. And this might be a little bit too. It's a little bit after the, the horse has bolted. So I welcome them doing it, but I suspect it's more because they know they have to protect their brand and they're doing it for that reason.
1: I guess the risk for the tech companies is the closest they get to taking full control over a problem which undeniably they are part of, uh, the more they are opening themselves up to being regulated as press or as a broadcaster, aren't they? And. Uh, uh, our guest from last episode, actually Jim Waterson, Guardian media editor, I saw, pointed out on Twitter this week that Facebook's response to the outbreak, which is to provide this kind of COVID-19 fact box at the top of everyone's newsfeed very helpful, accurate figures, good journalism they're taking direct responsibility for that. This is Facebook saying, "We have curated a newsfeed for you of facts so that you can rely on some news. Is that then becoming a publisher, finally?
0: Well, it's a very significant step, isn't it? Because up till now, Facebook has said, not about us, we're just a platform, we're not a mm. publisher, we're just a part of the platform, up to you what you put up on there. And, you know, we'll take down offensive stuff, but otherwise, you know, Uh, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom. I think this is very interesting. Facebook must have done this because they believe there's a real desire for this and they want to be engaged with people. And they know that of course there is a demand for information of this sort and they want to be at the center of people's lives. And, you know, as people are spending more and more time at home and, you know, consuming more and more digital media, if Facebook wasn't to get some share of that, they'd lose out and they'd lose out obviously for commercial reasons. So I am sure that Facebook have done this for, um, purely commercial and altruistic reasons but um, that said what would be interesting is whether this changes facebook's arguments when they are um, being challenged about their strategy when they're being asked about um, you know their policies to protect individuals i suspect this is probably a one-off not a a fundamental change of strategy but it is very interesting and i have to say the quality of what they produced is pretty decent
1: okay i'm going to end it there paul because I feel with so many events being cancelled, it's only right to cancel the media quiz as well. You couldn't win it single-handedly.
0: No, I certainly couldn't. And frankly, I think Maggie should win. So um, I think Maggie can have the honourable win and I'll gracefully bow out.
1: I think that's fair. Maggie, if you're listening, we love you. I'm sorry that we lost your call. Uh, That is it for today. My thanks to Maggie Brown and Paul Robinson. If you enjoyed our episode today and you want to help us make more, then why not take a voluntary subscription? You can... Ooh, what was that noise? (laughs) <laughs> you can head to mediapodcast.com slash donate and choose an amount to keep us going all year round. Uh, you can also catch up with our previous episodes and get new ones as soon as they're released by subscribing for free via our website the themediapodcast.com Com. I quite like the idea that Paul just sort of vanished through some Star Trek-style sliding doors. There. I'm still here. <laughs> Your hologram got beamed up. <laughs> uh, go back to doing whatever you were doing, Paul. Uh, I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Rebecca Grisdale-Sherry. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. And until next time, stay safe. Bye-bye.